Good evening, church. So good to be back with you. We are enjoying Vacation Bible School. Let me tell you, our kids are having so much fun this week, and uh, thank you to Pastor and all for letting us be here. Hey, I just want to commend you, church. Uh, One of my favorite parts about Vacation Bible School is watching the church serve. And uh, your church in particular just does an amazing job. I think Pastor said over 100 volunteers and workers. And you need it, by the way. There's a lot of kids here. Uh, But it's just been a joy to me to watch you come together as a church this week and uh, sit amongst the kids and serve them and to throw popcorn at them or pick up after them or whatever you're doing this week. It's just been wonderful to see, and I want to commend you. And by the way, the teens, boy, that has encouraged my heart to see how many teens are serving. And uh, thank you for all you're doing this week for souls. Boy, it's not in vain. I uh, was listening to Brother Andy, uh, I'm sorry, Amazon Andy today uh, teaches Bible lesson. And the, cle- the gospel was so clear. I mean, if you, if you, if you missed it, it's because you weren't listening. It was just so clear. And uh, the Lord's working in hearts, no doubt. I sat in on Monday on the little kids' class, listening to them teach the days of creation. I thought, boy, it's what they need right here. And so I just commend you, church, for what you're doing this week. And uh, this is eternal work, there's no doubt. And thank you for letting us be a part. We have had some fun this week. The object lessons have been by faith, okay? There's no doubt. Uh, We stuck a skewer through a balloon today. It was a little bit shaky. I was wondering if it was going to pop or not. And if it did, what were we going to tell the kids about that, you know? And, uh, but anyway, God's just been so good. And uh, always good to be with you. I want to mention just a couple things to you. We do have a new prayer card, and uh, that's because we have a new, a new child. And uh, we keep having to get new ones uh, and get new pictures done. And so these are in the back there. It's got a little QR code that will take you to our website. You can follow us online there. And then quickly, a ministry the Lord allowed us to start last year that we're so excited about is called a Missions Initiative Trips. And uh, the Lord changed my wife and I, our life, through going to the mission field, the foreign mission field. And uh, we came back just never the same. And so one of the things we said is, you know what, we want to we try to be a part of getting other people to the mission field, letting them experience what we've experienced. And so last year we began this. We led two trips last year. We had a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, a trip to Panama in the summer, took a team of 10. It was just wonderful. God moved in a mighty way. And then in November, took a trip to Uganda and did some pastor training there. It was an amazing trip. The Lord just worked in a tremendous way. And so the Lord's expanding this ministry. Uh, we, we realize, you know, it's expensive to go on missions trips. You may be thinking, there's no way I could go. Uh, I don't even know uh, how to begin. Well, part of the ministry is we want to help you with that. We help you raise funds. Uh, we had a dear lady last year, and uh, her son was going, her teenage son. And uh, she wanted to go, but she didn't have the money. And so uh, her husband just encouraged her, hey, step out by faith. If the Lord wants this, he'll make a way. Well, in a week, she had all of her funds raised, and she went on to raise double, about double what she needed, and actually got to help other people go on the trip. And uh, so God just makes a way. And I want to encourage you, a couple trips we have upcoming, about four weeks we'll be in the country of Panama again. And I uh, love that country. That's a yearly trip. We'll take that trip at least once, maybe twice next year. It's a wonderful uh, first-time mission field. Uh, in uh, October this year, we'll be in South Africa, and uh, we're actually looking for people. Just had a pastor here in South Florida that said, I want to go with you, and uh, so if you're interested in that, if you've ever dreamed of going uh, to Africa on a missions trip, here's a great one where you actually speak their language, okay, and so we're going to, on that trip in October looking for people to go with us, and then in January, we'll be in the country of Chile, South America, and uh, specifically lo- look, looking for some Spanish speakers and uh, good opportunities there, and then next year, Lord willing, we'll be again back in Panama also back in Uganda and to just see what else the Lord opens up and so if you're interested I would encourage you church if you've never been to the mission field 
Uh, the Lord will open your eyes in a way, I, I don't know that he does any other way than to go see the need and participate in it, and you'll come back changed, and encourage you teens especially, pray about going on a missions trip, and to talk to your parents about it, it's a wonderful thing, and if we can be helped in any way along those lines, just let us know. We'll take your Bible tonight, I believe you've got it in Ephesians chapter number 4, Ephesians chapter 4, I think what the Lord's led us to tonight will go along, right along with um, what, what we're doing this week in ministering in VBS. Notice Ephesians chapter 4, church, in verse number 11. The Lord speaking here. He said, and I gave, He gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did He give them? Notice verse 12, for the, perfect, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Notice verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we do want to follow and follow on. Thank you for that song tonight. And the reminder, Lord, we're here to follow Jesus. Thank you for the work that you're doing this week at Beacon Baptist Church, Lord. Thank you for these precious boys and girls that have come and heard the gospel I pray even tonight, Lord, that that seed that's been planted, uh, that the Holy Spirit would come along, Lord, and nurture that seed, and there'd be some boys and girls that would be ready to understand and receive the gospel of Christ this week. Now, Father, as we open your word tonight, I pray you'd encourage your people. Lord, in many ways, I think they're already doing what we're speaking of tonight, but maybe uh, perhaps it'd be an encouragement to just keep on, Lord, and, and to know that what we're doing is the Bible way, Lord, and it's the way that makes a difference for all of eternity. Father, Speak to our hearts tonight and show us, Lord. Show us how we can minister in this generation. Father, we love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. You know, church, our uh, world is pretty messed up, isn't it? I mean, if you have any form of social media or, uh, or you have uh, 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 inter uh, internet in your house and you jump online or you go to the news and watch Fox or CNN or whatever your choice is, or just if you have two eyeballs, you can figure out the world is messed up, isn't it? I mean, about every way we can mention tonight, politically, socially, emotionally, economically, morally, spiritually, if there are any other Lees out there, uh, we're messed up, aren't we? It reminds me of a gentleman, he was going to the doctor and things went from bad uh, to worse. His uh, doctor said, well, I have bad news and I have worse news for you. And he thought, boy, this is not what I wanted to hear. He had been run through some tests and finally got the results. And he said, well, I guess give me the bad news first. And the doctor told the man, he said, well, the bad news is that you have 24 hours to live. And the man thought to himself, what on earth could be worse than that? The doctor said, the worst news is I was supposed to tell you yesterday. <laughs> now I want to tell you, uh, sometimes uh, when you look at our country, it can feel that way. Like yesterday's news is just old news and you turn on today and it seems worse. And how could it ever get worse? I come to Ephesians chapter 4 and I think we learn church how to minister to a messed up world. And can I just tell you something tonight, church? The world has always been messed up. <laughs> It didn't take very long for Adam and Eve to corrupt, and we've been talking about this this week, God's perfect creation. And not long after that, for the first murder to happen. Think about that. And then we come to the Tower of Babel, and we come to Noah, and, and, uh, and, and you look at modern history. 
You look at like Hitler. Boy, I was just watching some of the catastrophes that happened with those millions of Jews that were murdered. Boy, the world's always been messed up, hasn't it? But boy, it just seems like it's on a different scale today. Seems like it's just turned up a little bit differently. I want you to notice from Ephesians chapter 15. We're going to take God's recipe here of speaking the truth in love. And I want to take and look at, to me, three different equations to that recipe that I'm seeing in the world today and that I think the world is using to minister in different ways. Notice the first equation, if I could put it this way tonight, church. I want us to call this one the devil's equation. The devil's equation. I think the devil's the, devil's the prince of the power of the air, is what the Bible says, and no doubt uh, he's the minister of deception and destruction and depression and all those things in our world today. And I think the equation that he uses, he takes truth in love, if you can call it that. But his equation looks something like this. Love, and I'll put that in parentheses, okay? Love minus truth equals deception. Love minus truth equals deception. I want to explain this to you. Take your Bible and go to Genesis chapter 3, if you will. Let's look at the very first, uh, I hate to call it ministry, but the first opportunity the devil had to uh, try to mess up God's creation here. And watch, he's going to use this formula. He wouldn't dare tell the truth here, but he'll act like he loves and cares for Eve, like he wants what's best for her. Notice Genesis 3, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now doesn't it seem like he has her best interest in mind? Listen, Eve, really, God's just hiding some information from you. He doesn't want you to be like him. And when you take of this fruit, you're not really going to die. You'll be just like him. Love, if you can call it that, minus truth couple scriptures for you he, revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 by the way church when the devil speaks it's a lie it's all he does he's a liar the truth is not in him christ said but revelation 12 and verse 9 and the great dragon was cast out that old serpent called the devil and satan which deceiveth the whole world he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him second corinthians eleven fourteen, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. I was teaching little boys and girls last few weeks at camp down in Miami. And I was telling them, you know, our, our, our idea of the devil is so wrong. We, we view the devil as this cartoon character with a pitchfork and horns. The Bible says he's a beautiful angel. And he transforms uh, himself into an angel of light. He looks appealing. He's deceiving. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, "...in whom the God of this world, that being the devil, hath blinded the minds of them." which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I was thinking, church, in our world today, how does the devil use love without truth? What tools is he using uh, to uh, fit that equation, if you will, to deceive people? I thought one that came to my mind is the idea of relative truth. Relative truth. Boy, that's a big thing in our day today, isn't it? Higher education, they're teaching this. Pretty amazing to think about. The idea is that truth is uh, it's fluid, if you will. Truth is what I want it to be. It's what I perceive it to be. And a truth for you uh, can be the exact opposite of what is true for me. Boy, the devil's using that lie, isn't he? 
He's using us to tell it that uh, telling young people and adults, you can be whatever gender you want to be. Doesn't matter what God created you. Doesn't matter what science might say. If it's true for you and you believe it, then it's right. And so you be what you want to be. You can marry who you want to. You can do with your body and your life what you want to. It's just if you think it's right, then it's right. It seems like what's best, right? But it's without truth. I think another tool the devil's using in this equation is religion. There's no doubt about it. Uh, something that you walk into a building and you feel good about yourself. You know, you feel like you've done a little bit more to achieve some kind of status with God, but there's no truth. There's no truth to it. The idea that I can work my way to God, the idea that there are many ways to God, boy, that sounds really nice to say, doesn't it? I mean, surely not everybody around the world that doesn't believe in Jesus is wrong, right? And so it sounds nice to say, it sounds like the loving thing to say, but it's not the truthful thing. I thought of easy believism. Boy, that's a lie that's evading our church, isn't it? Come to church, call yourself a Christian, and don't change your life at all. Just live like everybody else, party like everybody else, do what everybody else does. But it's a tool of the devil. This is the loving way, but there's no truth there. I think of another tool the devil's using. Love without truth looks like relative truth and religion. I think tolerance, boy, that's a word in our day today, isn't it? Boy, if you really love people, then you accept them as they are, right? And if you are to disagree with someone and you are to say that you disagree with them, that is hating them. That, that is demeaning them. That is belittling them to, to, to disagree with me. It's to hate me. It reminds me of a verse in the Bible. There's a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And church, I want to tell you, this is the devil's equation. He's been using it since the beginning. He's using it in our day-to-day. -day. Boy, I think about our country and the deception, boy, that's even in our education system today, isn't it? Think about the process of kicking God and the Bible out and prayer out in the 1960s and then evolution coming in. And then this movement that I think we're paying for today, there was a, 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 a gentleman named Nathaniel Brandon in the 60s that introduced the self-esteem movement. And that is the idea, everybody ought to feel good about themselves. Everybody ought to feel like a winner, even if it ain't true, right? That's why we stop keeping score. Everybody's a winner, everybody gets a trophy. In fact, here's what he said about self-esteem. Self-esteem is the disposition to experience oneself as being competent to cope with the basic challenges of life and of being worthy of happiness. It is confidence in the efficacy of our mind and our ability to think. And by extension, it is confidence in our ability to learn, make appropriate choices and decisions, and respond effectively to change. It is also the experience, uh, to, it is also the experience that success, achievement, fulfillment, happiness are the right and natural for us. The survival value of such confidence is obvious, so it is danger, dangerous when it is missing. And so introduce this idea, everybody's right. We can't tell anybody who's wrong. I read a book years ago, Church that Amazed Me, that in some schools today, uh, they have, and they're using what's called suggestive spelling. And uh, they won't even tell boys and girls that they're spelling things wrong. You just spell it how you want to. And it's bizarre. I mean, that's a crazy thought. But, <coughs> excuse me. But the idea is that uh, we can't uh, uh, make these kids feel bad. Uh, there's no truth, right, anymore. It's just love. And this is the devil's equation, my goodness, how he's using it. The statistics in our country, they tell us today depression is the leading cause of disability in the U.S. amongst ages 15 to 44. One in five Americans are impacted by mental illness. Suicide's the second leading cause of death amongst ages 15 to 44. It's a sad thought, isn't it? One suicide death occurs every 12 minutes in the United States. 28,000 Americans die of opioid overdose every year. 
1,748 U.S. women, it changes daily, abort their own baby in the U.S. There are over 88,000 alcohol-related deaths in the U.S. Church, isn't the devil very good at what he does? I mean, you think about it. He took a perfect man and a perfect woman in a perfect garden and got them to eat of the only tree that they could not eat of because he loved them, but he didn't tell them the truth. He took the third man to ever be born, Cain, and convinced him that he could worship God how he wanted to and he could please God not God's way, but his own way. And then a few days later, kill his brother. He took Achan and convinced him, you can take the spoils of Jericho and hide them and it won't affect anybody. He took a man as strong as Samson and convinced him that it was okay to live in immorality and he wouldn't lose his strength, he wouldn't lose the blessing of God. A man as wise as Solomon and convinced him you can have uh, 300 wives and 600 cucumber vines, right? I'm sorry, um, concubines. And still have peace. (laughs) Imagine that. How about a man as close to God as David was? I convinced him to commit adultery and arrange murder. Church, my point is tonight, the devil has an equation. He, he loves to take something close to the truth and, and mix it up, doesn't he? And so what the devil says, give him love without truth, and it leads to deception. Notice the second way I think this equation is used, this love with truth equation in verse number 15. Let's, let's call this one tonight, if we, can, if we can, the demeaning equation. This one says truth without love or truth minus love, and what it equals is damage damage. Can I tell you, church, this is an equation I'm afraid that is used too often in churches. We're so quick to give people the truth without telling them that we love them or show them that they walk out feeling so shame they don't believe there's any hope. Take your Bible, if you will, turn it to John chapter number 8. I want to show you this lived out. (coughs) John chapter number 8. A woman is brought to Jesus by the religious people, right? The Pharisees. And they're all truth. Boy, they are ready to uphold the law, but there's not an ounce of love in their hearts. Notice John chapter 8 and verse 1. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came into him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She saith, No man, Lord. And Jesus saith unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Boy, these Pharisees are a perfect example of, I'm afraid, what we are sometimes in the church. And that is we're so quick to call people out on their faults and their failures. And boy, this is truth, Jesus. She's committed adultery. And that was true. And she was worthy of death, and that was true. And so were they, by the way, and so are we. And so they're so quick to bring truth here, but there's no love. But you see, Jesus, he added love to the equation, didn't he? Think about it, church, Luke chapter number 18. Another Pharisee stands to pray, and he says this, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. 
You know what I think this looks like, church, in our practical life? It looks like this. It looks like posting about and speaking about all those bad sinners out there, all those wicked sins and those folks that are ruining our country, but never one time stopping to pray or reach out to them. That's what it looks like. Truth. And you know what? You're speaking the truth, and it is truth, and, and, and God's Word is true, and sin is wrong. But sometimes we focus so much on the sin that we lose sight of the sinner. We lose sight of the soul. We lose sight of the fact that the kid that comes in and is interrupting class and, and, uh, and we can't get control might have a bad home life and nobody's ever trained him. And he needs Jesus above all things. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In fact, let's just turn there. I know we're turning a lot, but I want you to see this. I love this passage, church. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 is just a beautiful reminder of who we were before we were saved. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and of verse number 9. And notice how Paul puts this. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Those that are unrighteous, those that are without Christ's righteousness, they don't go to heaven. They don't get the kingdom of God. Notice, be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Boy, what a list. What a list. But then notice what he says, verse number 11. And such were some of you. I love it. Notice what happened. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God that we have a God that is filled with truth and love. Not just the truth, but he's merciful and gracious. And how dare us be anything less to other people? Boy, be careful, church. It's so easy to post it. It's so easy to uh, condemn. It's so easy to just get hot-tempered even and speak the truth. Boy, I have to be careful as a preacher that I I don't stand up and get angry and, and call people out without love. Boy, it's just amazing to me that Jesus could speak the absolute truth to people, and yet they received it because they knew that he loved them. So notice the devil's equation is love, if we can call it that. It's not really love, but love minus truth equals deception. The demeaning equation is truth minus love, and that's what it leads to. It's very demeaning, but notice thirdly with me tonight the divine equation. Aren't you thankful that God has the right recipe? He always does. Notice verse 15 again, Ephesians chapter 4. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. Boy, there are wonderful benefits. You read the verses previous to this, the verse after this, and the power of the truth in love. You know what, church? Love plus truth equals deliverance. It's life-changing. I mean, it sets people free. John chapter number four, we'll go there. It'll be our last passage we turn to tonight because I want to spend a few minutes there. And I want you to watch how Jesus applied this equation. John chapter number four, Jesus comes and sits down on a hot day And you guys can imagine that here, can't you? John chapter number 4. He sits down at a well in Samaria. Here's a woman that, to be honest, he had a lot of truth to speak to her. I mean, if anybody uh, knew and had the right to stand up and condemn this lady, it was Jesus Christ because she was wicked. She had done some wrong things. But my goodness, Jesus loves her, doesn't he? And I want you to watch it play out here, the truth in love. Watch how it gives her deliverance. Notice verse number Three, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. I want to make a couple comments as we read through this chapter. First of all, church, love goes out of the way, doesn't it? 
Here's Jesus. This wasn't the natural Jewish way, if you will, uh, to get to where he was going. But he knew of a lady in Samaria. And so he literally goes out of his way because he loves her. Because he cares about her. So love goes out of the way. Notice, keep reading verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Love gives of itself, doesn't it? I think about these VBS workers. Today I was asking some of them, how are you doing? You know, you're surviving. And the answer today was tired, you know. And, and I was thinking, boy, that's me too. I need some coffee to pour on my head today, you know. And, and But you know what? You're giving of yourself this week. Five days in a row. You're coming in. Boy, and those kids, maybe they're getting on your nerves, you know. Or they're making a mess. And you're giving of yourself. That was Jesus. He was tired. He was weary. And yet he was going to give of himself. Notice verse 7. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria to him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Boy, there were several things that were odd about this encounter. A Jesus, a Jewish man here, was speaking to a Samaritan woman. That was not uh, culturally acceptable. That threw this woman off, especially her, of all people. She couldn't even come to the well at the normal time when the other women were there. She had such a reputation. And yet Jesus stops and he goes out of his way to speak to her, to engage in conversation. Notice what Jesus said to her, verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus turns the conversation to spiritual things, doesn't he here? Notice the conversation goes on. Look at verse 15. The woman saith unto him, Sir... Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. Love, ultimately, church, speaks the truth, doesn't it? Can I just tell you, church, Jesus did not say that to embarrass her. I don't believe that for a minute. Jesus said that to show this woman she had a need that was deeper than what was in the well. She had a spiritual need. She had an emptiness inside of her, and the water that he was speaking of was there to meet that emptiness, speaking the truth and love. You go to the doctor, and the doctor finds a tumor inside of you. They do scans, and they find it. And If that doctor loves you and he cares about you, he's not going to walk in and say, well, I just think this is the way you were born. Or, you know, maybe this is just how uh, people are today, and you know what, if it ain't bothering you, it ain't bothering me, and you just go on your merry way. You know what, if he loves you, you know what he's going to do? He's going to tell you the truth. This is going to kill you. This is bad. I mean, we found this, and here's where it is, and here how, here's how big it is. And some of you walk down that road, and you know what, he tells you that because he cares about you, not because he hates you, but he wants to help you. So he tells you, you've got a problem, but here's something we can do about it. Here's a treatment. Here's something we can try, and here's something. You know what, church, if we love people, we have to speak the truth to them, don't we? Can I just tell you, I can't say my, I love my neighbor if I won't walk over and make sure they know that they're a sinner and there's, there's a Savior who will save them from that. We uh, moved into my granddad's house just over a year ago, and uh, we had a yard sale, getting rid of a lot of junk, you know. And, uh, and as we had that yard sale, our neighbors came over. Now, my granddad lived in that house for over 50 years. 
And his testimony was amazing. I mean, people knew my granddad. He was a barber. He shared the gospel with people. And they knew that. And so here's the, the grandsons moved in, and he's got the crazy kids, the four kids, you know, and wonder what he's going to be like. Well, my neighbor walked across the street, uh, he and his wife, and they came in, and they had a shirt. He had a shirt on it. It said uh, it was like admit one, like a ticket. It was a ticket to hell. Boy, it caught me off guard. I thought, boy, who is that callous? Like, who is that anti-God that they would wear a shirt that says, I've got a ticket to hell? Boy, my heart was burdened. I thought, you know what, if I love them, as awkward as it may be, i gotta, uh, I got to get the gospel to them. If I care about them, and I, I, I sleep every night, or not every night, but when we're home, feet from where they are, I've got to take the gospel to them. I've got to do that if I love them. And I care about them. The truth convicts. The truth compels. The truth changes. And if I love someone, I've got to speak the truth to them. Continue reading in the story. Jesus points out the truth to this woman. You know what? You're a sinner. And I know all about you. And boy, she's taken off guard, isn't she? Let's skip on down to verse number 25. Notice finally she comes to this realization here. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Can I tell you, church, ultimately what true love does is it always points people to Jesus. It always does. True love points people to Jesus. He's the one that saves. He's the one that sets free. And so Jesus takes this woman, and he doesn't hide the truth, does he? He knows who she isn't. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't make her feel better about herself. And, and you know, you're just going to be okay. You just keep going along like you are and living how you are. No, he speaks the truth. You're wicked, you're a sinner, and you need a Savior. And guess what? I'm Him. <laughs> I'm God, and I love you, and I want to give you living water. Boy, He didn't just tell her about her sin. He gave her a solution, didn't He? He said there's hope, there's healing, there's forgiveness. Boy, this is the divine equation. By the way, church, it's the equation that works today. You bring these kids in here, and you give them Chick-fil-A, <laughs> or you give them ice cream sandwiches. Or Colonel T throws them candy, you know, and, and all week you're pumping them full of love. We love you. We rented a bounce house for you. We'll sit by you. We'll sing the songs with you. We'll do all those things so that when it's time to sit down and hear the truth, they're willing to listen because they know you care about them. They know you're invested in them. And you know what's going to happen this week? God's going to change some lives. And it may not even be like this week. It may not be Thursday or Friday. It may be a few weeks from now or months down the road that someone gets saved. I remember the first funeral that I preached, Pastor, was for a 13-year-old teen in our youth group. And he had taken his own life. And I was distraught. I was angry, to be honest with you. I was thinking, what could I have done? What, what, what could we have done? And, and I was upset. And so finally we sat and we talked to his parents. And, and a boy, what a relief to find out that that little boy had come to our church during vacation Bible school and gotten saved. Praise the Lord for that. Boy, I don't know how many of these kids, what their story will be down the road, but praise the Lord, this week we're not just coming in and patting them on the head and saying, you know what, you just live how you want to and, and you just be who you want to and we just want you to feel real good about yourself. You know what we told them this week? You are a sinner and your sin is going to separate you from God forever. But there's a God who loves you. And send his son Jesus Christ to save you from your sins. But we're giving him the truth and we're doing it in love and God is changing lives. The divine equation still works. So let me give you some thoughts as we're closing tonight. How do you minister to a messed up world? Well, no doubt truth and love has got to be the equation that we use. But let me give you some thoughts. First of all, church, I think we ought to pray. I think we ought to pray. 
Boy, we need prayer. Pray for the lost. Some of you tonight, you have kids, you have grandkids that are away from the Lord. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray God to put somebody in their path. Pray for the lost. Pray for laborers. Isn't it interesting, the one prayer request that Jesus gave that we know of was for laborers because they're few. So pray for laborers. Pray for the lost. Pray for opportunities. Pray for revival. Secondly, what ought we do? We ought to pray. We ought to love. We ought to love and love big. Let love out loud, right? Let, 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 let love uh, be displayed in your life. Help those that are hurting. Boy, I was telling pastor, one of the things I loved about your prayer time is you were giving people's names who need to be saved because you love them and you care about them and you're praying for them. Help to restore the broken and the fallen. Welcome those into church that need help. Can I tell you, church, I love walking into church and seeing people like they need church, to be honest. Like they hadn't quite been in church their whole life, or life's not gone just exactly maybe how our life has, and, and they're here because they need help, and they're looking for it. Welcome them in. Tell them we're glad you're here. Love our enemies. Well, that's the Jesus way, isn't it? Teens, we talked about that. Loving even our enemies. So what do we do? We pray, we love, we speak the truth, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Church, can I tell you, it's not always easy. I have family who's struggling with issues and some big issues, and I often wonder, how can I speak the truth to them? How can I do it in a way that's not going to cause them to never want to speak or talk again? How can I keep the door open for the gospel? But ultimately, church, as we said earlier, if I love them, I have to speak the truth. I have to tell them the truth. I met an evangelist friend uh, last night at a Denny's, that great health food restaurant, you know, and, and uh, so we met, and Traffic was horrible, so I just kept going south. He's in Miami, so he kept coming north, and he made it like 20-something miles. I made it like over an hour, you know, and, and so we stopped at Denny's. And so I was there a little bit early. There was a, a waitress that was walking around, and uh, the Lord began working on my heart. You need to talk to her because it was empty. I mean, great reputation. You know, there was no, hardly nobody in there. And so I'm sipping on some coffee, and so time went by, and he showed up, and we talked for a few hours and solved the world's problems, you know, and all that. And and he got ready to leave, and so as we were leaving, the Lord kind of impressed upon both of us, you know, leave this lady a tract or something, and, and uh, so neither one of us had one. Great evangelist we are, you know, and so we went out, he got in the car, and it was the pastor's wife's car, and so uh, he couldn't find one, it wasn't his car, and so I went to my truck, I couldn't find one, I'm looking in the drawers, looking in the dash, and so finally, just to be honest, church, I got in the, I got in the uh, truck, I started up, and I thought, boy, I'm going to go my way, and the Lord just smote my heart and said, how dare you? You've sat in this Denny's for like three hours, <laughs> seriously, and drank their coffee, and, and that lady's been in there the whole time, and you've not said anything to her. And I just finally got miserable enough, you know, and so I turned the truck off, and I walked in, and thankfully the Lord had cleared the counter, and I just walked up to the lady. I said, I just uh, want to, you know, ask you, I said, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And she said, no, and so I began talking to her. A few minutes, she bowed her head and asked the Lord to save her. Can I just tell you, church, God just i just be honest, it's been a while. It's been a while. And we've seen a lot of kids saved in our ministry this summer. It's been a while since just one-on-one. I, I found someone to share the gospel. God just reminded me, hey, Ethan, you know what? The truth in love changes lives. And it makes a difference. So love people and speak the truth, and God will do the rest. I don't know if you've heard, it's a wonderful testimony. Beckett Cook. Beckett Cook was a gentleman who worked in uh, the Hollywood industry. He was a designer for fashion industry sets. He's a homosexual, homosexual man. And uh, he worked for some of the biggest names. He 
uh, would go to these celebrities' houses and spend time with them. He knew names that if I called them, you would know who they are. In September 2009, Beckett Cook was in a, a coffee shop out in California, and he happened to look across the table, and there was a young group of, of uh, I don't know if they were college age, just young men, they had their Bibles open. And so that called his attention. You know, usually people recognize a Bible. It looks different. They know what's going on. And so these young men were having just a Bible study. And so Beckett Cook just walked over and approached them and just began to question them. And uh, they began to invite him to church. Why don't you come to church with us? And so Beckett Cook asked him, well, what does your church say about homosexuality? And so they just said, well, we believe it's a sin, you know, but we believe God loves everybody. And so why don't you come to church? Well, Beckett Cook, he came to church that Sunday. He heard the gospel. And of all things, he got saved. And God began to change his life. He left that lifestyle. Obviously, he's written a book. The Lord's used him. He's been interviewed, and they were asking him. They said, this was 10 years afterwards. They said, go back and tell me what it was that made the difference in your life. How is it that you, who was very successful, obviously, in a culture that is very acceptive of any lifestyle that you want to live, how is it that you experienced such a change, and, and what caused that? These were his words. He said, it was a moment in Paris, Texas, in Paris, excuse me, six months earlier. I was at a fashion party and I just felt empty. I had done everything in Hollywood, met everyone, traveled everywhere, yet I was so overwhelmed with emptiness at this party. It was one of the most intense, is that all there is moments of my life. I had already been wrestling with questions about the meaning of life, searching for it in all sorts of ways, but I knew God was never an option because I was gay. It was off the table. I wasn't confused about what the Bible had to say about homosexuality. I, I knew it was clear, but I was still searching for meaning. So when I came to the coffee shop six months later and saw this group of young people with their Bibles open, I started asking them questions, and they explained the gospel, what they believed. I asked what their church believed about homosexuality. Again, they told him. Five years earlier, I would have been like, you guys are insane. You're living in the dark ages. But instead, I was like, maybe I could be wrong. Maybe this actually is a sin, so I was open to it in that moment, and they invited me to church. That Sunday, the pastor preached the sermon, and everything he was saying basically turned what I knew about religion upside down. I grew up in Catholic schools, and I honestly thought religion was just being a good person, doing good things. And by the way, there's folks in Jupiter, Florida that believe the exact same thing. I don't think the priests in my high school once explained what the gospel was, not once. So when Tim, the pastor, was preaching all these things that were the exact opposite of what I thought religion was, I was like, whoa, it all really re resonated. And it prompted me to go forward at the end of the service to receive prayer. It was shocking, unexpected to me, a road to Damascus type of moment. It was so powerful, so all-consuming, I was all in. The pastor and I would meet for coffee each week, and though I didn't know why, he was discipling me. This was vital. There were so many others at the church who came around me and supported me, recommending books and sermons and praying for me. I would get random, I'm praying for you today, texts all the time. I joined a community group, a Sunday school right away. It was a process of people discipling me at my church and God discipling me through their uh, voices. During that time, right after I got saved, I had a three-month period of no work, which was unusual. So I had all this time to spend with God, to pray, to read the Bible. I couldn't stop reading the Bible. Every time I'd listen to a sermon or read the Bible, I'd end up in tears. Oh my, this is true. I can't believe I know God and I know the meaning of life finally. What a testimony. Church, I think about Beckett Cook and I think, what if those boys in that coffee shop that day would have said, you know who you are? You're wicked. 
You're an abomination. We don't want anything of you at our church. But what if they had said that? But because they loved this man, boy, they told him the truth, didn't they? It wasn't they hide it, they, they hid it, or, or they said, you know, we don't have to deal with this. They told him the truth. But it was in such a way, and isn't it amazing how God has his timing involved, that he was ready to receive it. God changed his life. He's written a book. He has podcasts and trying to help those that are in bondage to this sin. Church, can I just tell you, and you're doing this church tonight, I know, but use God's equation. The truth in love in Sunday school. The truth in love in the pulpit. The truth in love in our soul winning. The truth in love in our social media, in our families. The truth in love. You know why? Because it delivers, folks. It's life-changing. And I hope God will help you to continue to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the truth in love. Lord, I'm thankful in 2005 that a preacher stood up as fiery as could be, Lord, and preached the truth, but he did it in such a loving way that I was ready to receive the gospel. I was ready to be saved. God, I'm thankful this week that at Beacon Baptist Church, these kids are getting a lot of love, but they're also getting a lot of truth. Lord, I know tomorrow especially is a gospel-focused day. We pray, Lord, that the love and the truth would come home, Lord, to show these boys and girls their need of Jesus. God, help us not to settle for these other equations. Help us not to be deceived into thinking that we can just love people and not give them the truth. God, that's not true love. Help us not to think, Lord, that we can just pound people over the head with the truth without loving them and think that's what they need or what's going to change them. Lord, help us to realize that you've given us the truth in love because it's life-changing, it's delivering. Father, thank you for the power of the truth of the Word of God. And God, I just pray for folks, maybe someone today, they're struggling with a family member, they're struggling with a neighbor, a co-worker who's, Lord, just hard, just away from God. Just like Beckett Cook, Lord, away from you. And I pray that you'd help them just to continue pouring that love, pouring that truth, God, because it's the truth and the love of God that makes a difference in hearts and lives. Father, we love you tonight. I ask that you'd encourage your people and challenge us. Maybe somebody tonight's kind of given up on the truth, given up on the love. Lord, they've just not seen these things working. I pray tonight we commit all again, Lord, to do whatever we can to speak the truth in love as we minister, Father, to a messed up world. Lord, have your way in our hearts and lives. We pray this in Christ's name. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.